This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Good to see you guys today. Glad you're at church. We're starting a brand new series today called Greater Things. Somebody say, Greater Things. things. You got to say it greater than that. Say, Greater Things. Now, make it sound like it does in here when I have lunch with my kids in here, which is at a deafening level. Say, Greater Things. Now it sounds like elementary school cafeteria in here. Glad that you guys are at church today. We're starting a new series, and it's all about what is greater, not gooder. This is not good things. This is greater things. And we have to start out the series this way. And I'm telling you right now, I'm just a little Holy Ghost sassy today. So y'all just going to have to deal with me a little bit. Because the topic of today's message is very important. Today's title for the sermon is, is might take it a little bit of explanation. I'm going to help you out for the next couple of minutes. Today I'm talking about we're not a good church. We're not a good church. And if somebody asked me, do you pastor a good church, I would tell them no. I'm going to explain that to you, why I would tell them no. Because we got to define what is good before we can even define what is great. You have to know what is good before you can even get to great. It's not semantics. There is a clear decision and a clear distinction between the two. Let me tell you the differences. Nike has a series of sports slogans that they've used to identify this difference. Okay, And I'm going to share them with you. And the first one was good shooters make shots, but great shooters make history. I like that one. I like that one. Good guards initiate the game's tempo, but great guards adjust the game's tempo. Okay. That's good. But they're about to get better. Good defenders play with active hands. Great defenders play with active minds. Now we're getting somewhere. Good cuts start with fakes. Great cuts start with purpose. You can fake a guy out and not know where you're going. You're going to get taken out by the other guy you didn't see. A purposeful fake knows where it's headed. This is my favorite one. Good teams cut down points, but great teams cut down nets. Come on. There's a difference between good and great. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, the book that I read in Bible school and Most people have had to read in college at some point or another, and if you have not read it, you should read it. It's an old book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. He says this, good is the enemy of great. Not bad, not lukewarm, good is the enemy of great. But there's more to that quote that never gets quoted. It's a little long, so I'm going to read it. Good is the enemy of great, and that is one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government, principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it is just so easy to settle for a good life. Good is the enemy of great. Let's all say that out loud. Say, good is the enemy of great. So inside your worship guide, you have a a card, and on one side, it's got a space for you to take a bunch of sermon notes. If you don't have that, um, I would suggest you start taking worship guides out the door, because there's info that we sneak in there you might want to have some weeks. Um, Also, QR codes and things to help you out throughout the week. 
Um, but if you don't have that card, go ahead and get out your phone and write some things down. I'm going to ask you a question, and there's no mood music at all. I'm making this intentionally silent and awkward for about the next 20 seconds because I want you to answer this question. What is a great church? Somebody asks you, do you go to a great church? What would you tell them? What is a great church? So for the next 20 seconds, just write down anything and everything that comes to your mind. And I'm going to stand here and stare at you awkwardly. Just kidding. What is a great church? What is a great You were planting a church and you wanted to plant a great one, what would you start with? Where would you begin? You wanted to be a church that cut down nets instead of have just a good Sunday service. Where would you start? What is a great church? I've got some things written down that I think will be helpful. Let me share them with you. This is the list that I've had in my Google Drive and and for the first few years of our church in my wallet, in my billfold. A great church is a focused church. A great church is a faithful church. A great church is an innovative church. Now you're starting to get it, like he's not going where I went with my list. A great church pleases God rather than people. A great church is focused on family trees, not the immediate. A great church is passionate about reaching people far from God. A great church creates disciples, not simply believers. A great church prays first. And a great church strives for unity. Is that list different than yours? Because the vibe I got from first service, because they started laughing at me when I read the list, they were like probably writing down things like, a great church has good coffee. A a great church has this for kids. A great church has this for me. A great church has padded chairs. A great church has pews. A great church has chairs. A great church has tables. A great church has um, a choir. A a great church has horns, which we won't have. A great church (laughs) has tambourines, which we will never have. A great church has this kind of ministry, a great church has this kind of department, a great church has this kind of pastor, a great church has this kind of branding. There's a big difference between good and great. And the list that I had in my billfold was in my list for a reason because the siren song of good branding and organizational clarity is always calling to take you to the rocks. And we have to stay focused on what greatness is. See, good churches and good organizations are simply satisfied with organizational clarity. 
I love organizational clarity. I've read The Four Habits of a Highly Extraordinary Executive by Patrick Lencioni five times. I love organizational clarity. It's number two on the four habits of an extraordinary executive. You've got to have organizational clarity and then reinforce it through human systems. You have to do that. But that can't be success. That's simply thinking and time. That's not successful church. That's just good project management. So what is a great church? Good churches are satisfied with good Sundays and organizational clarity, but great churches are obsessed with effectiveness. And effectiveness at what? Look what A.W. Tozer said. If you ever want your boat rocked, read this guy. 100 religious persons knit into unity by careful organization do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. Now lick your wounds real quick. It's okay. We're all here together. That quote has always hit me to the core since the day I read it. 100 religious people knit together by good systems on planning center. Do not. Where am I getting at with this? A good church enjoys Sundays, but great churches use Sunday to live for Monday through Saturday. A good church is reactionary, but a great church is a catalyst. A good church imitates culture. A great church initiates culture. Back to my sermon title. May we never, ever become a good church. I don't want to pastor a good church. I want to lead a great church. Good churches are already on the way to death. Great churches are constantly multiplying in effectiveness. When the, when the Bible talks about how electric the church was in the beginning, and we see that they, they were so on fire for their lives to be marked by God, they sold everything they had. They gave everything away, which, by the way, when people say tithing's an Old Testament thing, okay, New Testament giving is you sell everything. So which one do you want? 10% or 100 Good churches get by with as little as they can. Great churches are never satisfied with the status quo. And you could take this and use it for businesses too, but we're a church and we're looking at what the Bible calls a great church. And we got to define what a church is. If I asked you, when I asked you the question, what is a great church, you might have written down something about a building. You might have written down something about sheetrock and sticks and bricks. Can I tell you something? Nowhere in the Bible does it say or draw a distinction between the people of God as the church and property and buildings. Not one time. They met in homes. They did the best they could. It wasn't until man got a hold of stuff, it started to get wonky. And I'm telling you, what we've got to keep our focus on is what is the capital C church? What is it? Who is she? Well, the church is a people not a place. So you didn't come to church today. You came to Sipple Elementary today to meet with the church. When we get our property and we build a building on it, that is not the church. That is a building in which the church uses as a tool to facilitate more believers becoming disciples so they can be the church. 
It's not semantics, it's focus. May we never be a good church that settles for something and we walk into our building one day and go, yeah, we done did it, look at us. No, may we never have arrived. There's no arrival. They're simply living day to day to be the disciples of Christ, to meet the needs of our neighbors and schools and cities. There's simply being Jesus in our world. That's the church. And it doesn't make any sense, guys, if we take the five acres of land we're under contract for and put a building on it, but we put a bunch of dead men's bones in it. That doesn't glorify God at all. In fact, the devil will go, good job. You guys used all your money for nothing. That's not okay. We have to stay focused. And the focus starts now. Before any concrete ever gets poured, the focus starts now. Do you believe that God, because I know the answer, God has called us to be a great church. Whether you believe it or not doesn't matter to me as much because I believe it. And I'm telling you, we got to believe, we got to go to this place where God's called us to be a great church. Well, Landon, that sounds like a lot of work. It is. It is. You know what good churches do? They let paid people do all the work. Good churches staff things. Great churches raise up people. We have got to understand that we are a great church called to do great things, and may we never, ever settle for good. May we never settle for it. And there's a biblical basis for this because good churches And good organizations have big events and big facilities that look successful to people, and we call it good. And I've got some friends that pastor great churches, and they're they're big. And I know some friends who pastor great churches, and they're small. And I know some guys who pastor good churches, and they're massive. And I'm telling you, 300 mobilized disciples can conquer hell a whole lot faster than 90,000 lukewarm believers. There's a whole chapter about it in the Bible. <laughs> Read the story of Gideon. It's all in there. And I'm telling you, this is so powerful that the difference between good and great. Look at Matthew 28. Because a great church does what Jesus said to do, not what not follows trends just to fill rooms. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up to them and said, all authority, everybody say all. All. That means everything. All means all, y'all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make good church services. Wait, I missed it. Sorry, I read the American version. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Somebody say disciples. Of everyone you can find. Make disciples of all nations. And then it says, help them to learn of me. Believe in me and obey my words. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always. I'm with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance or occasion even to the end of age. The word disciple is the Greek word methetes, and it means pupil, adherent, or learner. But a disciple was not someone who just sat in a classroom. I've always found it very interesting that we have discipleship classes, but we, when we talk about classes, 
We sit in a room and we hear somebody tell us about discipleship, but we don't go do said things after the class. So it's like being in a class for, to be a cashier, but then you never get behind the register. It's like going to the DMV and taking a test to drive, but you don't get behind the wheel of a car. We've got a lot of knowledge, some of us, about the Bible, but is it being put into play? The word mephetes literally means an adherent. It means someone who imitates their teacher. It's hard to teach discipleship in a classroom. We imitate Jesus. What did Jesus do? He took care of his neighbors. He healed people. He prayed for people. He was honest with people. John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, which, by the way, was a big deal, and I don't want to just gloss over that. Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him. Basically, he was saying to a group of people that finally understood that Jesus was the Savior of the world, which was a huge deal. When they believed that, they lost all of their family. The second church I ever worked at, our pastor was Jewish, and he was smuggled out of Nazi Germany by Catholic nuns. And all of his family made it over to the United States somehow and escaped concentration camps. And he grew up in the United States even though he was a German-born Jew. And I learned so much from him in the year and a half I was there. And the only reason we left there is because I got hired here in San Antonio in 2007. And I remember talking to, to Dr. Seif, and we were talking through his upbringing. And he said, you know, when I became a Christian, all of my family disowned me, even my mother and father. They would never speak to me again because I had believed a false prophet. And it wasn't until he led his father to Jesus on his deathbed that they reconciled. That was a big deal. So Jesus is saying to these people, if you abide in my word, which means continually obeying my teachings and living in accordance with them, continually obeying. Wouldn't you love your kids to do that? Continually obeying my teachings and living every day within those teachings, then and only then are you seen as a disciple. Guys, that, that has nothing to do with weekend experiences. This is everyday living. This is everyday living. The Passion Translation says it this way, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are true followers. See, we're not after preaching good sermons and having listenable music with childcare and a few small groups. That is not why Kelly and I started this church. And I honestly would say, I don't know if that's worth living, like giving up your life to lead. It's about being a great church, making disciples. We're after teaching the uncompromising good news truth of Christ. To help people receive Jesus fully and live for him daily. We're all about passionate worshipers leading passionate people. We're after creating safe spaces for people to meet Jesus, but then having a plan to help them become disciples. We're after leading children to know Jesus and become disciples themselves. If you were here at our church, a lot of you are new, so I'll just share with you very quickly a few series ago, we did one called Ask for Me in My House. And in that series, I believe Kelly was preaching the day that she shared a, shared a statistic that 9 out of 10 
children leave Christianity when they go to college. So the way we're doing church, the way we have been doing church for 20 years, has created children who hate church. What the heck are we doing? Kelly and I would be foolish to look at that statistic and go, oh, well, let's just keep playing Veggie Tales, which, by the way, we've never done. But we would be fools to think that just because we got our kids in the building and we're not living like disciples at home, that that's going to save your family tree. We have a 10% chance at getting them in to the kingdom when they are on their own. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. We're after leading children to become disciples to where they, they're at the point where they don't have to borrow mommy and daddy's faith anymore. They got their own. It's their Jesus. It's their God. And I've been asked this question, how will you know when the Purpose Church is successful? And I remember just sitting at coffee with some guys, and I, and, and I was just like, I don't know what you're really getting at. Like, are, are you asking me if I've got, like, a secret Google sheet that no one can see and it's password protected and encrypted that has, like, a scale of attendance that will make me feel successful? Is that what you're asking? And I literally said it to a guy. He's like, no, that'd be weird. I'm like, that would be weird. Your question's also weird. And I was like, so what are you, what are you asking me? This is how I act at pastor's gatherings. That's why I don't go to them but these because I go to these gatherings and then they sit around and I if I was one of these guys I would go to these gatherings and I invite your sheep to my sheep pen for my sheep party and then you tell me to bring my sheep to your sheep pen for your sheep party and then we just do sheepy things together and no one ever gets saved and we just bob bob black sheep our way into hell this doesn't make any sense to me so I stopped going because I I, I, I believe that it's so easy in our capitalistic society to believe that numbers and money equate to success. But in the Bible, that's not true. That's not true. And we have to look at what the Bible says is great. And from what I just read in Matthew, to me, it looks like greatness is creating people who know the Bible and obey it. I wonder if we ask today, how many of us know why there are two sections of the Bible, books are in the Bible, or how they're, they're written, we'll answer that question. Or how many books are in the Bible, or how they're, they're written, or which, which are the books of poetry, which are the books of prophecy, and which ones are allegory, which ones are literal, which ones are metaphor. If we don't know anything about the Bible, then we become sheep who sit there and bah, bah, when a preacher, when a good shepherd throws things out for you. And American church has been great at that because it makes good TV. It makes for good entertainment. And I'm telling you, like, we're not about that. Are we passionate? Yes. Do you say amen sometimes? Yes. I don't live for your amens. That does not equate success to me for my sermon or not. I won't even know the success of this sermon for probably eight weeks. I won't know the success of this sermon until I see how many people come to growth track in the next two months. It's not about immediate gratification. It's about, uh, it's about thinking three. It's about the generational transfer. So my answer is simply a biblical answer. I tell them, well, here's how we're going to know we're successful. 
when those who are part of this body that God's allowed Kelly and I to be the shepherds over abide in his word, obey his word, and live in accordance with his word, then it'll look like success. Literally had one guy ask me, he goes, yeah, but like what about campuses and how many services you're running? So number one, the word campus for a church is weird. This ain't school, all right? Number two, it's not about how many services we're running. It's about how many sheep God sent in here. If he needs more in here, then we'll figure it out then. Because here's another thing about the church. According to the New Testament, we don't grow it. We don't grow it. And we're going to sing a song here in a minute that says, build your church, build your church, build it from the ground up. It's your church. Straight up theology. But what we've fallen for is if we have good branding and we put a quote up of our pastor and he's like, on Instagram. And we get really good TikTok reels of good preacher sermons. Then they're going to come by the droves and receive the Holy Ghost. No! Why have we believed that? That is not true. Because the, a biblically great church is one who brings people from lost, far from God, to believer, to disciple, to disciple maker. That is biblical church, great church success. May we never be a good church. I love having church with you guys on Sunday. I'm a church junkie. I know some songs that will just rev me up. I could go for five hours, get us some oil and some modesty cloths, and we'll go to town. It's fine. <laughs> I will, have a black, I will dance around y'all with a Jehovah flag, and I, you won't even know me at all if that went down. I'm telling you right now, that's fun, but that's not church because you're the church. Worship expressions are different. I have a great friend who pastors an Anglican church. They're worshiping right now totally different than this, but they're focused on teaching children the Bible. That blows my mind. It's not about the vibe of the worship, the worship songs and service. and It can be liturgy or it can be the way we do it. This is just our style. But a church, if it's a great church, is teaching people how to be disciples, to obey his word and live in accordance to his word and know his word. May we never be a good church. We don't need to be a good church. God's called us to be a great church. And when we start making moves towards being a great church, then he pops up five acres of land and lets our bid outbid five developers. When, when, when he, he does all of that on his own. And if we try to force it to happen, then we get anxious and stressed and worried. And then once, let's say we did force it to happen, then we're not able to say, look what the Lord has done. We're just able to say, look what we did. This is about him. It's about creating true followers. A great church is a church body that innovates and inspires. A great church reaches the lost and does anything short of sin to reach them. A church that knows the deep needs of its community it serves rather than throwing advertisements at them. We will be a church that teaches people how to read their Bibles so mom and dad can read it to their children. We will be a church that worships passionately and doesn't spectate. We will be a church that serves because that's what disciples of Christ simply do. 
Believers come and sit and drink free coffee. Disciples make the coffee, drink it when it's lukewarm because they're serving other people. There's a microwave in there if you need it. We will be a great church that gives generously because we believe and we obey God's word. May we never, ever be a good church. May we be the kind of church that cuts down nets and laughs at the devil every time we snip a piece of it. May we not be a church that just has a couple of victories. May we be the undisputed victor that the devil doesn't even want to try anymore because we've blooded him up so bad. May we be the kind of church where when you wake up and your feet hit the floor, they're like, dang it. May you be the kind of families that live with values and not letting kids' sports and the tyranny of the urgent determine the stability of your home. May we be the kind of people who live lives of peace and stability because we're obeying God's word. Our lives get out of whack when we disobey God's word. When's the last time you had a Sabbath day? If you don't even know what that is, that's the answer. May we never be a good church. Let's be a great one. And then one day we're going to build a building out there on the interstate. And I think the staff have already pre-shot me down on the sign that says we're not a good church. They won't let me put it up. I never get what I want. They always say no. But right now I'm telling you, we're going after great. And we're going after teaching you the word. There's still some times where I'm reading the Bible by myself in the morning. And this has nothing to do with the, the career path I chose. Because I would have been a great weatherman, but this is way more fun. When I open this up and I see something I've never seen before, I've read the Bible front to back half a dozen times in my life, and there's still things that pop up, and I'm like, where did that come from? It was obviously there before. It hasn't changed at all. But then it's, it's like a word for me that day that I chew on for weeks, maybe even months, that affects conversations I have with Kelly, that affects something that happens with my children, then something happens with someone in the church, and God gave me that word eight weeks ago that was for them on that day. And I didn't know he was getting me ready for that. But if we're not in his word, then we don't have it. If we don't know how to read his word, then we can't get it. Back to the days where people have giant honking Bibles with a family crest on it. You pass it down to everybody. Let's go back to those days. Let's go back to the days where the family Bible was the most important thing families fought over when you kicked the bucket. Not your money or your house or your Russian nesting dolls. What if it was something more important? Like, I want Granny's Bible because she highlighted stuff that I've never seen before. What if we did that? That's going after great. That's going after great. Going after good is, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go today. And the kids see the lackadaisical mediocrity approach to faith. That's good. You got a church, you go to small group every once in a while, that's good. But what if we went after great? Because the devil's going after his version of great, and he's unrelenting. Let's go after great. Let's create a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. Let's, got, let's let God grow his church, and you and I just take care of what's right in front of us. It's not mine and Kelly's job to grow the church. He gave us the staff to beat up some wolves and keep you from falling off the cliff. That's all we're supposed to do and let you find some green grass. 
God expands the fences and he sends the sheep when he sees fit. And if it's a healthy sheep pen, he sends some sheep. We've got to feed them the right thing when they come. May we never be a good church. May we be effective at changing family trees and thinking three generations ahead with our decisions. May we be a great church that partners with the communities and the cities we serve to meet their needs, not our needs. May we be effective at creating disciples who know God and obey God no matter what. May we be effective at raising up children and students who know and follow God for themselves. We're not a good church because good is comfortable, good is easy, good is boring, and good is the beginning of death. We're a great church that plunders hell and populates heaven. We're a great church that raises up leaders to effect greater change in our cities. We're a great church that refuses to settle for good. Let's go after greatness because we are a great people, a great church. We're called to do it. We're not called to build buildings. It's a necessary tool, just the same way those two trailers were a necessary tool. It was either that or fill up all of your Priuses with stuff. So we bought a trailer. But now we need the tool of a facility. We need the tool of that land. And we have the greatest opportunity in our church that our church has ever had in front of her. And they're going to show you a picture of it. This is an actual picture of the land that we're under contract. If you missed the announcement last week, we're under contract for five acres on the interstate right there. It's exciting. It's crazy. Um, that's the interstate right here. Our billboard's right there. You look at it, and you're like, well, it is kind of up on the hill, isn't it? Interesting. Wonder what God's going to do with that piece of dirt. I wonder what God's going to do. I've played golf on this golf course a dozen times. I lost my ball here a million times. In the little lake that's down there, some of my have my initials written on it. I never thought, because right now this picture's on the cart path, I drove on this cart path and I just wonder that we'd be trying to own it. I just wonder what God could do if we just say, we're going after great. We're going after great. See, God brought this property up. I was frustrated in a office day and, and I hate fluorescent lights and I hate being indoors. So I was like, I'm getting out of here. So I got outside, got in the truck, and I just started driving around and got in the sunlight and rolled the windows down, but it was still like 105 degrees, did it anyway. And I wasn't, and what's funny is I wasn't even listening to Christian music. I was listening to Jimmy Buffett when I found this land. So I was singing fins to the left, fins to the right. I'm not lying. When I got down the street, I was like, what is that sign? Arr! Hit my hazards, backed up, found this little tiny ghetto sign. I'm just telling you, like, God knows what he's up to. Got me out of the office, driving around, fine. It wasn't even online yet. It, it's like we, I saw it right when it happened, and it was just this amazing thing, and how God has orchestrated things to get to the point we're at now has been unbelievable. And hopefully I'll have even more things to share with you next Sunday, but if we're just wanting to buy this land to build a good church on it so we can put a billboard up with Mighty Kelly's face on it and say, hope you come, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I'd rather stay here and be portable and not have a mortgage and raise up disciples. 
to be a church. But if we're gonna use this land to put a facility on it to pump out more disciples, now I wanna do it with you. Let's do it. Let's just see what God does. No one's after this for fame at all. We need the tool of this property to have a greater impact so that people in our neighborhoods will stop settling for good and start living purposeful, surrendered, focused lives. That's the goal. We're moving into our response time now. If you're new here, I'll just tell you what that is. Like what Kelly and I do up here, what any of our pastors do up here, this is not a performance. We're just trying to share the word of the Lord with you. So we have a response time at the end. And so we do sing three songs. It's just ones at the end. And so while the band comes out and gets ready, let me read these, song, uh, these questions to you. These are the response time questions. For the next five to seven minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to ask God about these questions. Like go to these questions and get it with God on it in a safe, worshipful environment. What areas of your life are good and not great? Is it your marriage? Is it your finances? Is it your emotional stability? Is it your physical health? What is it? What's good and not great? And what steps do you need to take this week towards great? Just pick one step, just do one step. Is your spiritual life good? Is your relationship with Jesus good but not great? I've been there. I still get there sometimes and I gotta figure out why. That's part of being a disciple is figuring it out. Are you a believer? or a disciple? Are you a believer who comes and enjoys service and you're personable and you love people and we love you being here, but maybe you've been sitting in a believer chair a long time and it's time to move towards a disciple? You go to God on that. Because there's more in you than you think there is. God has called you to make a difference in the life of other people. And coming and receiving is great, but coming and receiving to reproduce it is even better. Allow God to use you with that. That's what growth track's for. Number four, what areas of your life are you not living in accordance with God's word? Now, that's the meddling question, but it has to be there. Because a disciple lives in accordance with God's word. And God's word is very clear about our not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, about Sabbath, about our marriages and our relationships and our peace level and our soul. It's very clear. So what areas of your life are wonky or out of whack. And you bring these things to God today in a safe environment. And the altar's open. If you want to write some stuff down and leave it here, there's going to be prayer partners in the back of the room um, if you want prayer for anything at all. And then there's two tables on each side of the room. All four tables have communion elements on them. If you need help with taking communion on your own, there's a card there to lead you through it. If you would like someone to help you with it, go to a prayer partner. They'll lead you through it. And there's also a card there that asks some questions. Take that card and let it help you through the response time. These questions are gonna shrink a little bit. They're gonna be at the bottom of the screen. Lyrics to the song will be at the top. This is response time. This is the time where you were given some scripture and now you respond. This is the life of a disciple. We take the scripture, we let it do something in us and we respond. You can say yes and amen or you can say, no, I don't want that. But that's your choice. We will never force you or coerce you. We're just reading scripture to you. If you're in the believer chair and you want to move towards the disciple chair, ask God these questions today and let's see what he says to you, okay? Everybody stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. And then the band's going to lead us through one more song. I think the title of it is Build Your Church. I think that's the title of the song. 
when you're done taking communion and you're done receiving prayer, just start worshiping. And I love this song. This song gets stuck in my head all the time. I wish I had been listening to this when I found the land. It would have made for a better story. But I wasn't. <laughs> so this song, I just love this song. The song is powerful. Let's let it get down deep, okay? Father, would you speak to us? If you feel comfortable lifting your hands, just do so. Just surrender to him now in this moment. Father, speak to us today. Our hearts and minds are open, open wide. Lord, speak to us about our emotions, our mental stability, our physical health, all of that that might be good but not great. Speak to us about our, our actions and our decisions that might be good or even bad, but definitely not great. God, show us the areas of our lives. Just like King David said, search me and know me. So Holy Spirit, come and minister to everyone individually as you so perfectly do. Our hearts and minds are open in this moment, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free to respond and go to the tables as the band leads us. I'll come up. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.